Good morning. <clears throat> I was blessed by the song service. I wanted to read a few words and that spoke to me and let them sink a little bit into our hearts. We plead thee, we need thee for brightness within. And then the last song spoke to the message I was preparing. For we are weak and need some deep reviving, deep revealing of trust and strength and calmness from above. I don't know if I've ever greeted this many visitors before. Welcome. Um, I pray this next week will be a a blessing and one um, a life-changing week ultimately. So with that, let's open with a word of prayer and then we'll get into the message. Father, we come before you this morning and we ask that you would come and be with us. You would settle upon our hearts and bring a calmness and a stillness that we would hear your still small voice speaking to us and that we would know um, that you are God and that we would uh, feel your presence very near. I pray you'd use your word to um, go forth and change our hearts and to uh, speak to us. Be with us for the rest of the service. Pray all this in your name. Amen. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. This message is one out of my own life experience <clears throat> from this last week. Um, I read it, I believe it was Monday or Tuesday for devotions, my devotions, and <clears throat> then there was a, something that happened on Monday, I guess it was, that um, made me, I don't know, Changed the way I looked, I looked at this verse or this chapter, I guess. Um, there was something that happened, and I had to go to somebody and confess something I had done wrong against them. And I guess, as a way of personal testimony, for a while it seemed like there was, I don't know, not a calmness or not a rest or a peace in my heart. And that act of going to somebody and humbling yourself and telling them what you had done uh, made me look at this chapter in a whole new light as far as rest. talks a lot about rest in here. So um, this message is mainly to me, and I hope you can glean something from it. So I'm going to read the whole chapter, and then uh, I'll go kind of through pretty much much verse by verse. 
Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left, left us of entering into rest, his rest, any of you should come, seem to come short of it. <clears throat> For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest. As he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he spoke in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest, seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. Again, he limiteth a certain day, saying, In David, today, after so long a time, as it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. For if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day? There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works, as God did from his let us labor, therefore, to enter into the rest, that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Of, our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So in verse 1, it says, Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. We see there that God has promised that we can have rest. But he's also gave us the warning that we can come short. So we have a choice. <clears throat> so, uh, grace and glory are attainable by all under the gospel, every single one of us. It's an offer to us and a promise to those who will accept the offer. <clears throat> those who attain may also fall short. Just because we can attain it doesn't mean we always have it. We can come short. Um, we can fall short by unbelief. In Hebrews 2.1 it says, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. So we need to grasp these truths and hold on to them. We need to um, we need to realize that we can have rest. We don't have to be in turmoil or um, I don't know if you want to say fighting against everything. Sometimes it seems like, but we also need to work to uh, retain them and not to let them slip. <coughs> 
it says in the end of that verse, it says, if any of you should seem to come short of it, <clears throat> it's a, a dreadful thing to fall short of the gospel salvation. But if it's so dreadful to seem to fall short of this rest, um, it's much more dreadful to really fall short of it. Uh, such a such a falling short is fatal, eternally. <clears throat> to prevent our falling short, we must maintain a holy and religious fear. We have to fear God. This will make us vigilant and diligent, sincere and serious. It will also make us examine our faith and exercise it. Whereas just presumption is the road to ruin. If we just think that it will always be there, it will lead to ruin. <clears throat> Verse 2. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. We must have faith to have rest. <clears throat> we must have faith for God's word to be profitable in our hearts, to change us. <clears throat> The good news of Canaan, Canaan's rest to Israel availed nothing because they didn't have the faith to attain it. They didn't trust in God. They didn't <clears throat> look to God and they saw the giants in the land and they didn't have enough faith to overcome that. Instead of saying, uh, can God, we must say, God can. <clears throat> They thought of themselves as grasshoppers and their enemies as giants. Because, the, <clears throat> because they left God out of the account. They weren't counting on God. So when we take God into account, we are giants. And everything else is grasshoppers. All our problems are grasshoppers. Just last Sunday, I did a children's lesson <clears throat> and it was on how big is God and <clears throat> to think that he wants a relationship with each one of us and <clears throat> it says that he knows each star by name and he placed it and I think as of right now there's somewhere they estimate that there's somewhere I think it was a hundred no, one billion trillion stars in the known universe. That's just the known universe. And then to think that God uh, knows each one of us intimately. <clears throat> the word is preached to us that we may profit by it, that we may gain spiritual riches. It is a price or money put into our hands to get wisdom and rich endowment of the soul. It, en <clears throat> it enriches our soul. It draws us closer to God. It makes us more Christ-like. If we have faith, <laughs> for unto us was the gospel preached. We have received good tidings as well as they, the children of Israel. They received good tidings of the land of Canaan, they had a gracious promise of entering into an earthly rest. 
we have a gracious promise of entering into heavenly rest, even while we're still here on earth. God gave the Israelites every advantage, and he has done the same to us. Moses and the elders spoke the word of God plainly and forcibly to them. Christ and his apostles have done the same to us, that they might have persevered, so, so may we. They disbelieved and disobeyed and fell, and so may we. Many hear the word of God, but gain nothing to their souls. And those who are not gainers by hearing are great losers. So this week, as you sit on, mainly the students, I guess, as you sit under much preaching in God's word, remember that if you don't gain by the hearing of it, it's a great loss. The word of God preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith. In Deuteronomy 1, 21, it says, Behold, the Lord thy God has set the land before thee. Go up and possess it. It is the Lord God of thy fathers. As the Lord God of thy fathers hath said unto thee, Fear not, neither be discouraged. We must take heed as the children of Israel. We don't have all these good things before us that we can attain. And that God has given us all the things we need to, and we don't enter into that rest because of unbelief. Because of a lack of faith to seize it. And the children of Israel, when they didn't have faith to go into possess the land, they suffered for it for 40 years. The thing which is at the root of all our unprofitableness is our unbelief. We do not mix faith with what we hear. It is the faith in the hearer that is the life of the word. If we don't have faith, the word will not come alive. Our faith must mingle with every word and be an act and exercise while we are hearing. We have to exercise faith while we are hearing. And when we have heard the word, we assent to the truth of it, approve of it, accept the mercy offered, and apply the word to ourselves. Then we shall find great profit and gain by the word preached. Verse 3. For we which believe, which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the, the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For we which have believed do enter into rest, the great spiritual blessings which are all typified by, the, by that earthly rest promised to the Israelites, we, by believing in Christ Jesus, can actually possess We can have a peace of conscience, a joy in the Holy Ghost, and we're saved from guilt and the power of sin. Thus, we can enjoy true inward peace and rest. (laughs) 
I'm going to read verses 4, 5, and 6 together. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest. Seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached enter not in because of unbelief. We see that God rested when he made creation. But I don't think he's just speaking of just resting from our work. We too must rest from our labors and have periods of rest, but we also must rest from trying to work out our own salvation. I know I've been in that place where I'm trying to make it work. I'm trying to know God, I guess you could say. Now that's good and right, but at the same time, if we're working out our own salvation, it doesn't work. The children of Israel did not find rest because of their unbelief. We must have faith and believe in God to enter into rest. We'll go on to 7, 8, and 9. Again, he limiteth a certain day, saying, In David, today after so long a time, as it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. For if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day? There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. Today, if you will hear and have faith, you can have rest right now. Today, God has given everything you need to enter into that rest. God in his mercy has instituted another day. He has given another dispensation of mercy and goodness by Christ Jesus. We are no longer under the old law, but under the new covenant. And now it may be said today, if you'll hear his voice, harden not your hearts. God speaks now as he spoke before. His voice is in the gospel as it was in the law. Believe, love, obey, and ye shall enter into this rest. In verse verse 9, there are two words in this chapter which are both translated rest. One in the whole chapter, but one signifies a secession from our labor so that the weary body is rested and refreshed. The second one is, uh, which I think would be the one in verse 9, the second one is not only a rest from labor, but a religious rest. A rest of a sacred kind, which both soul and body partake of. I think often we can rest in our bodies, but how often do we take time <clears throat> to rest in our souls or our hearts and feed on God's word? Verse 10. For he that is entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works as God did from his. The man who has believed in Jesus Christ has entered into his rest, the state of happiness which he has provided, the peace with God that is the 
forerunner of eternal rest and glory. This is a, this is a rest we can have here on earth, and it's uh, a forerunner to the rest we shall have in eternity with God. We can have that <clears throat> peace and rest here on earth. Hath ceased from his own works. Our rest and our peace no longer depend, depends on the observance of Mosaic rites and ceremonies. Our just, for our justification and final happiness. We don't need those things. God has given a new dispensation. He has given us the new covenant. We rest from all those works of the law as fully as God had rested from his, own, from his works at creation. We're no longer under the law, but we still need to, to um, not be doing things under our own work. We need to be resting in him and not trying to work out our own salvation. Uh, verse 11. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into the re that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. It says, let us labor. It's an action. We're to work to rest. Kind of sounds like a contradiction. Um, but I'd say this is a spiritual work. We labor by prayer, hearing the word and reading the word. <clears throat> By getting to know God. But most of all, it's a quiet waiting on God. Being still. <clears throat> this requires strength, diligence, and industry. This will also bring difficulties and discouragements. But those must awaken a godly jealousy in us to pursue that rest, to pursue that peace. In Philippians 2.12 it says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He doesn't say work out your salvation by doing things or being good or acting godly or anything like that. He says work it out with fear and trembling. I get the picture of somebody being humble and having a right understanding of who they are and who God is and also recognizing the fact that they can um, that they can fall away or they, they need to pursue God. That fear of falling away and also that trembling before God. It reminds me of in uh, Nehemiah when the people were rebuilding Jerusalem and it says they had a the people had a mind to work. I think we need to have a mind to work uh, of this type of labor, of a spiritual work. We need to have that mind to pursue God, to seek after him, to know him. They had a, The people of Israel, when they were rebuilding the city, they had a, a goal in mind. They were focused, and they were uh, pressing towards the goal, I guess. Are, do we have a goal, and are we focused? <clears throat> Is our focus only on God? And are we striving towards the goal of pleasing him with everything, every aspect of our lives? Because at the end of this verse it says, lest any man fall. Lest we fall from the grace of God, from the gospel and its blessings. Lest we fall away and perish everlastingly. <clears throat> verse 12, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword 
piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word of God is alive. <clears throat> I think that quick means alive or living. It's powerful, effective, sufficient, and effectual. The word of God penetrates deeper into, into a man than any sword could ever go. It exposes everything. It lays us bare. It opens us up. It enters into the soul and spirit, into all our sensations, passions, appetites, even to our very thoughts. And it sits as judge of our most secret intentions and the sentiments of our heart. That's pretty deep. The secret intentions of our hearts. Neither, uh, verse 13, neither is there any creature that is not manifested in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Goes very well along, I think, 12 and 13 are some of my favorite verses in this chapter. God is so infinite in his knowledge and so omnipresent that the whole creation is constantly exposed to his view. Our whole lives are open before him. <clears throat> As the verse says, uh, even our intentions are open and exposed to him. Nothing can be hidden, he knows it all forget where I got this quote. Um, I want to say it was John Wesley or uh, Matthew Henry, but I forget. It says, were we transparent so that the world could see all we are, who would dare go abroad? Who would wish the world to read all his thoughts and feelings for a single day? Who would wish his friends to look in upon his naked soul as, he, as we can look into a room through a window? Oh, what blushes and confusion. What a hanging down of the head. What an effort to escape from the gaze of people there would be if everyone knew that all his secret feelings were seen by every person whom he met. Social enjoyment would end, and the now frivolous and blithe multitudes in the streets would become processions of downcast and blushing convicts. And yet all these are known to God. He reads every thought, sees every feeling, looks through the whole soul. How carefully should we be to keep our hearts pure? How anxious that there should be nothing in the soul that we are not willing to have known. <clears throat> Can you imagine if your innermost thoughts and motives were displayed up here on a screen? Before everybody here. What about your internet history? What about the last thing you've watched or listened to or read? Those are just, can I say, outward things. There's also, can I say, a history of our hearts and our minds. And God sees all that all the time. We can't hide it from him. It seems like sometimes we trick ourselves into thinking we can hide these things. Nobody knows about it, just me. That's uh, when I had to go to that person and tell them something. That was kind of the thing that was like, well, if I don't 
they won't really ever know if I don't tell them. They won't know that this happened. Do I really have to go tell them? It's, and it, I guess, scared me because I knew that wasn't right. And yet my own flesh was warring against the spirit, I guess, and saying, you don't have to do this or you shouldn't do this. It just it's, makes you feel dumb. But it was a blessing to expose that to the light and uh, confess that and have God's word and his blood wash me. If we want to enter into rest, we must lay it all before Christ and have his blood wash us clean. God knows it all anyway. We can't hide it from him. We're only tricking ourselves. And we cannot have rest until we have broken, have been broken, and admit our own sinfulness so that we can apply the blood of Jesus Christ to our sins. And then we'll have clean hearts and we can have rest in him. Verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. We have a great high priest, great indeed, the eternal Son of God. And he's passed through the heavens. Once a year, the Jewish high priest would pass through the veil of the Holy of Holies. Carrying with him the blood of the sacrifices on the yearly day of atonement. He entered with much fear and trembling. So our great high priest once went so our great high priest went once for all through the visible heavens with the virtue of his own blood, perfect, sinless blood, into the immediate presence of God, not just a temple. It's just the, he went to the immediate presence of God, and he's our great high priest interceding there for us. And then I like how it says, <clears throat> we have a great high priest. He's ours. He's for us. And we can be in him. Verse 15, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Every point is me. Whenever you have a temptation come along, or whenever I have a temptation come along, do I really think... Christ was tempted in this exact way or and he overcame all temptations and he walked perfectly he's touched by our feelings sometimes I think we can take the feelings out of God we can relegate him to God and you know our feelings are our feelings but he says he's touched by our feelings in Hebrews 2.18 it says for in that he himself hath suffered Being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. Because Christ has been tempted like as we are, he can strengthen us and he knows what we're going through. He knows all the feelings. He sympathizes with us in our infirmities, wants, weaknesses, miseries, dangers. Yet he did all that without sin. And because of all that, he's able to preserve us from all our temptations. 
He was perfect, yet he gave himself for us. And now we can have perfection through him. Verse 16, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We must come. Just like in verse 1, it says, entering into his rest, it's an action. We must come. Matthew 7, 7 says, Ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and ye shall find. That's a promise. And also we can come boldly. Without any doubt or fear. Like the high priest in the old covenant, couldn't he went in with much fear and trembling. But we can come without any fear. It says we can come boldly unto the throne of grace. Unto the throne of God, our reconciled Father, even his throne. God's grace erected it, and his grace reigns there, and his grace dispenses all blessings in unmerited favor to us. That we may obtain mercy, that we may take mercy. It's a receiving that may receive the pardon of all our sins. There is mercy for the taking. Because Jesus Christ tasted death for every man and extends it to us. We can find grace. Mercy refers to the pardon of sin and being brought into the favor of God. Grace is that by which the soul is supported after it has received this mercy. It's what supports us and sustains us. And by which it is purified from all unrighteousness. It's, it's what purifies us. God's grace supports us and purifies us. And it upholds us in all trials and difficulties. <clears throat> and enables us to prove faithful unto death. Because he sustains us. We can find help in time of need. Support when necessary and as necessary. In due proportion to the necessity. Uh, The word here is properly rendered assistance, help or support. But it is is also um, an assistance in the proportion of the earnestness of our cry. If somebody is in distress and they don't cry out, how can anybody help them? So if we don't see our own need and the necessity, if we don't feel that need and necessity to cry out to God, I think in some ways it limits our ability to receive mercy from God and help from him. We must feel our need of him. We must feel the necessity and see ourselves rightly before him and that should make us cry out and seek him and he says if we seek him we'll find him we are to call for mercy and grace when we need them and we are to expect to receive them when we call it's a promise and God does not lie and he's promised to to give us help in our times of need this, is, this goes back to our liberty and our boldness. 
that we can come to his throne and call aloud for his mercy. And God hears and dispenses mercy to us. We need him every day and every minute. We need him, so let us cry out to him. Do we really see our need if we're not crying? I also want to consider some other points in this verse, the last verse 16. One is that there is a throne of grace, the mercy seat. And that is the place where God and man are to meet. And two is that this mercy seat is sprinkled with the atoning blood of the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. That's why there's mercy there, is because of Christ. And three is we must come to this throne, and this implies faith in the effectiveness of the sacrifice. We must have faith in Jesus Christ and his blood, or else it'll it'll be to no effect on our hearts or on us. We must call aloud on God for his mercy. <clears throat> this goes back to seeing our need. Do we really see our need? And what does it motivate us to do? If we don't feel our, feel our need, we won't call out. So we must feel our need and call out for his mercy. We must feel our spiritual necessity, our need. I guess I kind of lumped both those into one. And then number six I had is God is well pleased with those who cry to him and take refuge in the atonement which he has made. God loves it when people call out to him and uh, ask for the things that he has promised to give. And number seven is um, that, that by coming and feeling and calling, we may have the utmost confidence For we have boldness, liberty of access, freedom of speech, and may plead with our maker without fear. And in doing that, we can expect all that heaven has to bestow. Because Jesus, who died, sitteth upon the throne. So in closing... uh, to all of us, Christ offers rest. Not in, not just in eternal life, but also in this life. <clears throat> rest from the weight of sin and from care and worry and from the load of our daily anxieties. <clears throat> the rest that arises from handle, handing all our worries over to Christ. We can give it all to him. And then receiving from Christ all we need. Have you and I entered into that experience? Have we entered into his rest? Uh, In verses 6 and 11, the word unbelief could also read disobedience. If we disobey, we cannot believe. But when we believe, we are sure to obey. In verse 10, we're directed to our risen Lord, Jesus Christ, who has finished the work of redemption 
and he rests. As God did when he pronounced creation to be very good. When we truly understand what he meant by saying it is finished, then we too shall find rest.